Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 609 in the Twin Cities. Eight degrees. Hey, it's just been a long day, hasn't it, Jonathan? Why wonderful producer it's, Jonathan Lowe it's, here. Uh, it, it's they're all they all blur together. They're all long days. I apologize, folks, for right there. Did we weren't on dead air? It was just operator error. Operator no. <laughs> error. It has been a long day, and gosh, I just felt like it got longer listening to Sloan, who's so wonderful and so nice and so charming. Read that brutal forecast. Oh my goodness! Uh, I and we were chatting just uh, in the break that. Uh, my daughter and her friends are really hoping for a cold day, which does not happen that often here in Minnesota. But I do think that there is – if it gets down to this minus 40 wind chills, I, I really think it's unreasonable to have kids going to school. And I, it's not just the little kids, but you know, I've got an older high school kid. I, I just think you – know, you think about kids driving or something going wrong or just – it's just not safe. It's just – and why? why? Why Why do it? Let's just keep people home. It's – as adults, you know, you, you expect to brave it. You expect to go out. You expect to go to work. But, again, when you have kids that are growing, their bodies are still growing. Yeah. You don't want to put them out on a bus stop. Um, you don't want to have them, like you said, yeah. out in rural Minnesota, out in outstate yeah. where they may have to drive – 10, 15 miles to get to school, and then they break down, and then what do you do then? And it's 25, or, you know, 20, 25 right. below outside? Right. And, you know, I just, I mean, even today I had an experience where I was uh, driving on Highway 7. I was trying to get to uh, uh, my daughter's hockey game in Victoria, and I just, I don't know if the, it's an older car. The transmission must have blown or whatever. Suddenly I wasn't going anywhere, and I couldn't even get the car I could get it to the side of the road, but I couldn't really get it really on the shoulder. And people were just blowing by me really fast. So I called uh, AAA. They said that a tow truck would be more than two hours. And then uh, the police, though, because I was basically in the road, they said I was a hazard. And yeah. so yeah. so they called another um, tow truck company. And so I've got to get reimbursed for AAA. But anyway, I just all I could think of was, you know, at least it wasn't. It was cold, but it wasn't minus forty wind chill, yeah. and it wasn't at night. You know, it just, it just. I was like, Ugh. and it, you talk about the the dangers of being outside. Uh, the, even the active kids, there have been active kids that have been affected by this because you remember. I don't. Your son is in hockey. Your daughter is in hockey. There was a hockey player from Minnetonka that suffered frostbite last week when his team and when. Minnetonka was playing Andover at the Hockey Day Minnesota celebration in Bemidji when they were playing in the morning. He suffered from frostbite. He had to miss a game or two. Wow. Okay. So I hope he's going to be okay. I know we were actually looking into that story um, in our newsroom. I hope he's going to be okay because that can be – I mean, that's serious. That, yeah. that is a very serious thing. And yeah. I know that a lot of those kids – you know, there's, I know some kids that don't skate with socks on or, or very thin socks, you know, and you think about being – in. That kind of weather, and that's that's really really tough stuff. So I just, 
I, I do think that people just need to be careful and, you know, listen to the weather forecasts and bring all those, you know, that safety kit in your car if you have to be driving long distances, maybe carpool because it is it is super cold. I know that it's Minnesota. I know that we are hardy and I know that we're ready to deal with it. But but this is the stuff that's uh, really tricky. And I, I do think it would be responsible as, as a parent uh, to have the schools. I know they don't like to do that, but I think just when it gets that cold, I just I just think it's better for everybody. But that's me on my little soapbox. But uh, we'll be working, though. We'll be working. Uh, listen, we've got a great show lined up for you. Uh, there are a number of uh, very interesting issues at the legislature. Among the proposals that gun control advocates are talking about is a red flag law. And when you hear this, you think this really sounds like it, it, it makes sense that if you have a, a person who is not well mentally or is acting erratically, you would report them or there'd be some kind of mechanism for them to no longer have access to their weapons. The difficulty here, though, is how is that going to be administered when you think about it? I mean, I think that that's what's very tricky. We're going to talk with uh, Senator Ron Latz about that. And we're also going to be talking in the 7 o'clock hour uh, with Lexi Reed Holtum. She is the uh, executive director of the Steve Rumler Hope Network. And I, I've worked with her on, on a number of things. I've, I've chaired their fundraiser. And there are some very interesting proposals that are being backed by two very important legislators, Senator Julie Rosen, who's a Republican, and Senator Chris Eaton, who's a Democrat. Uh, and they are joining forces to, to try and create some change and awareness about the opioid crisis here. So it'll be interesting to hear from Lexi, because Lexi, she's been pushing this and, and talking about the need for improvements and changes to laws. And she's gotten laws through. This organization is really wonderful. So that's our 7 o'clock hour. Uh, 8 o'clock, we're going to chat with Dave Schultz. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where do you start? Uh, if there's so much to ask him about. Uh, but coming up in this half hour, we're going to talk about the flu with Chris Ayersman, who is the Director of Infectious Disease Epidemiology uh, the, at the Minnesota Department of Health. She really is the expert on this. And apparently this flu is widespread. This year I did get the shot. Last year I didn't. And I, I didn't get sick. But an awful lot of people I know got very, very sick, people who are ordinarily healthy. So uh, it is 6.15. It is 5 degrees. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Chris Ayersman. It is 6.17 in the Twin Cities. Well, I don't know if you heard there's been a lot of news going on, but the flu is widespread throughout Minnesota and in Wabasso. They had to actually cancel school uh, because of the flu epidemic there. And we're joined now by Chris Ayersman, who is with the – she's the Director of Infectious Disease Epidemiology for the Minnesota Department of Health. She's the person we all turn to for interviews on this topic. So I appreciate, Chris, you coming on tonight and, and joining us. Well, happy to, happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. Let me ask you, you know, I think a lot of people were concerned about what happened last year when the vaccine was not that effective. Uh, do you feel it's more effective this year? Well, you know, one thing about influenza is it's it's really quite variable. So it's hard to say if we're seeing, um, you know, a, a better season because the vaccine is more effective or just because um, it's just that kind of a season. I can tell you that last year the effectiveness was about 40 percent um, 
which obviously with our measles vaccine, we're at 97%. So right. we're a little disappointed with influenza vaccines, but nonetheless, um, it's still worth getting vaccinated, even though we don't have, you know, the, the really great um, effectiveness. Right. What are you seeing this year? Well, we're at widespread activity, as you mentioned, um, and we have not peaked here in Minnesota. What we're seeing is that um, H1 is the strain that is predominantly circulating. And so we, with that, we don't see as many outbreaks in long-term care facilities, or it's, it doesn't affect the elderly quite as much as with some of the other strains. But we have seen a lot of school outbreaks. And just last week, we had 30 schools um, who reported outbreaks. Wow. So def- okay. Definitely seeing a lot of activity in schools, as as you sort of alluded to. Well, and Wabaso, they had to close the schools because it was so bad. Uh, and and it, I guess it's just that contagious. Well, and, and we we definitely, you know, defer to the schools to make those decisions. And oftentimes they close schools because not only are the students sick, but also because the staff are sick. And so you just can't you can't run the school if you don't have the students and the staff. Right. Absolutely. And it, it is something, you know, and last year uh, there were, you know, when I know that the, 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 the shot was not as effective. I do know some people who got the shot who did get sick. And the people I know who are in our newsroom who got sick got really sick. And, and it was these are people who are one of them is a lot younger than me. And she was so sick. For, for so long, and it obviously can really be devastating and even deadly, and I think that's what sometimes people tend to forget. Right. I mean, last year we had over 6,000 hospitalizations um, from, you know, individuals who had influenza. Thankfully, this year we're only at about 270 hospitalizations, um, so that's great. But, and we do see deaths. I mean, we've had 10 deaths so far this year. So yeah, influenza can be can be really serious, and it, it's very much different from a cold, which, you know, you have your cough, you're sneezing, that type of thing. When you have influenza, you have a fever, you have aches, chills, you're out for three days to a week. Right. So absolutely, what your colleagues experienced that was right. influenza. Yeah, I mean, this, these are healthy people, and they were flat on their backs. They said they couldn't move. I mean, it was just, it was that bad. Is it still uh, time? Can you still get a flu shot? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's never too late to get a flu shot. And one thing to keep in mind um, is that some seasons, what we see is we'll see a particular like influenza A, and that'll be the predominant strain earlier in the season, and that'll sort of peak. And then as the season progresses, and, and we call the season from October to May, um, we can see a different strain start to peak wow. later in the season. So definitely, yes, it's definitely still worth getting a, a flu shot. All right. And and I guess for many people, there is, and I know people such as yourself say it's it's a myth, but there are some people who really are convinced that if you get the flu shot, you're going to get sick. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, the vaccine has a killed virus, so it can't cause influenza. But I think what people um, get mixed up with is that when you get vaccinated, your body does mount an immune response, which is what you want. And sometimes that can mean that you feel, you know, a little bit, um, you have like a low-grade fever, you feel kind of a little bit achy for, um, you know, a day. 
that's your body actually responding to the vaccine. So that's actually a really good thing. And it's definitely much better um, than being flat on your back for seven days. Okay, we're chatting with Chris Ayersman. She's the director of infectious disease epidemiology at the Minnesota Department of Health. Let me ask you, when you talked about last year and how sick people got, which is something that I saw with people I know, are some flu seasons, do they make you sicker? And I'm not phrasing that very well, but in other words, was last year particularly bad for those people who did get the flu? And is some years, even if you get the flu, you don't, you're not quite as devastatingly sick? Yes. It, it, that's if, if I'm making any sense at all. <laughs> no, no, no. That does make sense. Depending on what strain circulates, um, you can have a situation where it's a much more severe season. Not only do we see more people getting sick, but we see those individuals getting sicker. And last year was a great example of that because, as I said, we had over 6,000 hospitalizations. That's more than we had during um, the pandemic in 2009-2010. So that was a season definitely in which the strain that was circulating was causing really significant disease. This year, we're definitely seeing influenza circulating, but we aren't seeing it, um, at least in Minnesota, at that really severe level at this point. And when is it, can you, you know, people, you know, public health experts such as your, yourself, when is it that you can say, aha, well, it, that vaccine was only 80% effective or 50% effective or 40% effective? Well, generally, we have to be farther into the season. So, you know, as the, there's studies that are going on right now that are being conducted to look at the vaccine—excuse me—the vaccine's efficacy in this flu season. Um, but we generally don't have that information in the middle of the season. What we can do is we can look at what strains were in the vaccine and what strains are circulating, and if those match, then that's definitely you know, a very good thing. But you really have to wait until all the data come in from the season before you can make a statement about how effective the vaccine happened to be in that season. And then one thing, and it didn't used to be this way. I mean, really, you can get the vaccine in so many places now. I mean, I think all of us go to Target or Walgreens or even Cub, you know, several times a week. You can get the shot there. Is it just as good? I mean, is it always, is it all the same as oh, opposed to getting it at your doctor's office? I mean, I've, yes, heard people, ab- I've heard people wonder that and I said, I don't know, but I've got Chris Ayersman on and I'll ask. No, absolutely. It's it's the same vaccine. Um, for individuals who are, you know, seeing their health care provider on a regular basis or may have an underlying health condition, you know, it certainly makes sense when you're in for one of those appointments to get vaccinated. But if you're one of the healthy adults that, um, you know, may not see your provider, you know, right during the time that we recommend vaccination, then any of those, um, you know, sort of non-traditional sites in the community are wonderful. My family, we um, we made it family fun night and we did get our vaccines at, um, you know, uh, a community site. Okay. So. And did, did the family fun night go over <laughs> or you do something <laughs> well, fun afterwards? <laughs> actually, my family knows what it's like to be um, with someone in public health. So they recognize that for us, that is a fun night. But <laughs> for most people, they might not call it that. And, and then also, I know that in the past, and now my, my kids are, are older, but I know in the past for some children, you know, getting these vaccines is it's just tough and they really – it's and a lot of parents kind of go for the nasal mist. But I've heard – there have been some years I feel like where, where the nasal mist hasn't been as effective. I mean do you feel that that's just as good? 
Well, you know, it, the last couple of years, the nasal mist wasn't available because there were some concerns about its effectiveness. And those concerns were addressed, and so now it is available again. Um, and I think it, it serves as a really great option for um, kids and um, some adults. You can get it, you know, um, into adulthood um, who, who really don't like shots. It's a really good option. And so, yes, we definitely, um, you know, encourage parents to use that as an option if their kids are, you know, particularly concerned about shots. Right. And, and you mentioned that, that there were 30 school districts where there have been outbreaks and, of course, Wabaso, they had to you know, cancel schools. Is there any advice you have for parents and maybe some kids who might be listening? Because obviously you've got kids, especially you've got a high schooler, you know, who they're, they're up late, they get up early, they're doing sports, they're doing drama, they're working so hard, they're a little bit, I think a lot of them are run down. Uh, but obviously they're all together, they're, they're, you know, eating. It's one of the great things about you know, being school, you're, you're with your friends. What, what advice do you have for parents uh, of school-aged children about what to tell your kids? Hopefully they might listen to one ounce of what you say, but <laughs> um, what, what, is there anything they can do? Obviously, probably washing your hands. Right, absolutely. I think, well, one thing you can do is you can say, hey, I know you don't, I know you don't think shots are the, you know, the most fun thing to do, but it's going to make it more likely that you're going to be able to go to those um, sporting events with your friends, you're going to be able to, you know, not miss your theater practice, all of those things. So, so one thing certainly is we, we'd encourage them to get those kids vaccinated, but the things that we talk about, you know, to help reduce your chance of acquiring flu are one, you know, as you said, good hand washing. Um, we, we tell people stay home if you're sick. And you know, that's, we, a, we tend, that's a biggie. Yeah. Yes. We, we tend to do what we call presenteeism where we go to work, we go to school no matter what. But all that does is, you know, sharing your, share your germs with someone else. So we really encourage people to stay home when they're sick, you know, drinking plenty of fluids, getting good rest, eating nutritiously. I mean, all of those things that are going to help you stay healthy all year long are particularly important during flu season. And then, of course, you know, the, the respiratory etiquette, um, coughing into your elbow, you know, so that you're making sure you don't shake hands with your elbow. That By doing that, your, your chances of sharing those germs are much less. So those are all things that we, you know, recommend. But definitely, I think vaccine is, is the most specific tool yeah. that we have. And don't share your water bottles, players. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah don't like share that. water bottles for so many reasons. But yes, absolutely. That's something to think about, too. All right. Well, Chris Ayersman, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your insights tonight. And, and obviously, and when do you update? You update it weekly. I know that, right? Right. Every Thursday, we That's update it. the data. Um, so if people are interested in kind of tracking how the season's going, you can go to our website and it, you'll get the latest data. It's the Minnesota Department of Health. Uh, Chris Ayersman, thank you so much. Sure, you're welcome. Always a pleasure. Uh, she's always a pleasure to interview and always does a great job of kind of bringing the scientific stuff down to earth for the rest of us to kind of figure out. All right. Well, it's Esme Murphy along with Jonathan Lowe, and we're just we're just chilling here. Maybe that's the wrong word to use, but we're, we're, we're warm. We're toasty here in our studio. Um, we've got to take a break. Do I have to give the weather, Jonathan? Okay, Jonathan's going yes. He's a thumbs up. All right, I'm going to give you the weather. And then when we come back, we'll be joined by Senator Ron Latz, who is pushing a red flag gun law. And and at at the surface, this sounds like a no-brainer, but I'm curious about how it actually would be implemented. 
Uh, so keep it right here, folks. You are listening to News Talk 830. It is 637 in the Twin Cities. We are at five degrees and it's going to get colder. We'll have the forecast at the top of the hour again. But uh, let's focus on some of the things that are going on at the legislature. There does seem to be an energy over there. Uh, people saying that they are going to get some significant bills passed this year. I know things have gotten stalled. And one of the efforts we saw last year was a surge in people demanding some kind of changes in Minnesota gun laws. And I thought one of the most interesting proposals was a red flag gun law that lets family members or police get a court order to temporarily remove firearms from a person who may be a threat to themselves or others. And what I think is so interesting about this is that I do think that there is some common ground here. Maybe you don't like this proposal, but I do think among – you know, the gun lobby uh, uh, amongst people who are concerned and want more gun control, uh, people all over the spectrum feel that, that we've got to get guns out of the hands of people who really shouldn't have them. Uh, Senator Ron Latz is behind the red flag gun law, and he is joining us right now. Senator Latz, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Esme. Glad to be with you. Absolutely. Well, listen, let me ask you, why don't you explain how your law would work? Well, uh, it would work uh, when a family member or law enforcement or person in the household uh, knows of a another person um, that is under a momentary uh, emotional crisis um, and is posing a risk uh, of a danger to themselves or to others by virtue of the fact that they have uh, firearms uh, in their home. Uh, so they would have the opportunity then uh, to either to seek a court order, um, a judge reviewing the allegations or the concerns, and would decide if the statutory standards are met, basically that they're a clear danger to themselves or to others, and that the risk is uh, imminent. Um, on an emergency basis, uh, they could get an order out the door uh, very, very quickly um, with an ex parte petition, meaning just one side making a petition. And then uh, the uh, court could order the firearms removed from the household. Uh, and then the uh, the person who owned the guns could um, go in and ask the court to do a full evidentiary hearing to uh, to check and see if uh, there really is such a, a concern. And that order would expire um, within 14 days after it was issued. The alternative, the non-emergency version, would allow um, for a petition to be followed by a hearing first. And then the court could make the decision. So so you have two different versions of this. One would be a temporary hold. Correct. One would be uh, lasting no longer than 14 days without having a hearing. If there were a hearing within the 14 days, then the court could decide to uh, extend the order from anywhere from six months to two years. Okay. Um, Does anybody else have this law any other places in, in the country? There are nine or ten other states really? that have this now. Yeah, Maryland being the most recent uh, one to take effect. Um, the sheriff of Montgomery County in Maryland uh, just issued a report uh, following its first three months in existence. Um, and they have uh, gotten orders to remove firearms in 148 cases out of 302 petitions, which means the judges were scrutinizing the petitions very carefully, and in more than half of them decided there was not enough basis to issue the order. In the other half, uh, there was enough basis for the order. 
Um, and about 60% of those petitions were brought by family members who one might presume would know most closely sure. uh, what emotional condition their, their family uh, members are in. Um, and importantly, uh, the Montgomery County Sheriff noted that in four of those cases when the firearms were removed, uh, there was a, uh, a significant danger to schools in the area, that the uh, wow. person with the firearms was apparently expressing uh, some interest or desire or plan uh, to go cause harm in a school. Well, um, let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, it, on the surface, I, I think, as I was saying, I think everybody wants to get the hands out of the guns out of the hands of people who are mentally ill. That being said, are you concerned about scenarios where people could perhaps for vindictive reasons or the wrong reasons, make some claim about somebody's mental health that wasn't true. Uh, you, yes, you know I what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, it yeah. just, it just seems, and then how, who's to say who's mentally sound and, or mentally not, you know, you know what I mean? I, I just wonder about the logistics of doing this because on the surface, it sounds like such a good idea, but I wonder about the practicality of actually getting it and it working, and and if you know, I can just see the person who's being the target of this saying, "Hey, listen, I'm fine. They're the ones with the problem." Well, first, let me caution in terms of the use of terminology. Ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent of persons that have mental illnesses are not violent or not a danger to anyone around them. Um, there is a, a slim, a thin sliver of those. Um, who are in danger of acting out because of their mental illness, and, and others who are just having severe emotional crises at the moment. I just had a bad breakup with a long-time uh, significant other or going through a divorce um, or just got fired from their job. Uh, you know, and not everyone reacts you know, violently to those, but some people could you know, go into a, a, a very negative reaction. I mean, those are the cases that we're right. most concerned about. Um, there is a provision in my proposal uh, that would make it a misdemeanor crime. Someone could be put in jail for up to 90 days if they falsified an affidavit ah. or if they were motivated by simple vindictiveness um, or harassing purposes. And so um, there's a strong incentive for people only to file a petition and to make statements, factual statements in their affidavit that are true because they can be held criminally accountable if they falsify. Okay. So that's not to say that it won't happen on occasion. Sure. Um, it does now uh, in other contexts where we also have ex parte orders, protective orders um, available in the order for protection in the domestic violence arena and harassment restraining orders um, in the non-domestic arena. Yeah. Um, and that happens, but that's one reason why we have judges who have to make the evaluation and also why uh, each person subject to this uh, such an order has a full constitutional due process right to an evidentiary hearing uh, to determine whether or not the order ought to be issued or whether it ought to remain in effect. Right. It, it it certainly is an intriguing proposal. I, I know, obviously, um, the gun lobby at the Capitol is a very powerful one and certainly has been very effective in previous years, specifically last year, I think last year really was uh, – I think there was a remarkable turnout by, by gun control advocates. Uh, there was specifically one group, Moms Demand Action Minnesota, which 
see, it was a relatively new organization, and, and they held some rallies where the organizers said they were expecting 20 people to show up, and they got 200. Uh, so there did seem to be a lot of interest in that, but various proposals got nowhere. Was there a red flag proposal that was brought up last year? Did you bring this up last year? There was, yes, and we were unable to get a committee hearing on it, and we were unable to get a floor vote um, on it in the Senate. Um, we had a procedural uh, vote, but not on the merits. Uh, and um, you're right, last year there was a lot of grassroots energy behind this, but I think a lot of legislators hadn't seen that translate into uh, challenging their ability to remain in office. However, this past November, we saw a lot of elections, particularly in suburban districts for the House, turn in part on these kinds of issues. Voters are beginning to make decisions on who to vote for based upon the candidates' positions on measures designed to reduce gun violence, not just yeah. on the other side of the equation on measures, uh, you know, someone who's strong enough supporter of the Second Amendment. And I really want to emphasize, if I may, Esme, um, that there is full due process available in this case or in these cases. Uh, that's one of the things that the opponents of this are saying. Oh, we'll take, take the guns away without due process. Well, our Supreme Court has recognized this process in driver's license revocations, in orders for protection in the domestic scenario, where you can actually remove the person from the home not just the gun. Right. You can actually remove a person and you can do it on the basis of an ex parte okay. uh, judicial order uh, with a prompt right to have a full evidentiary hearing uh, shortly after that order takes effect. Well, that, that's fascinating. Chatting with Senator Ron Latz, who has a red flag bill that would allow family members or police to get a court order to temporarily remove firearms from a person who may be a threat to themselves or others. Uh, it, it did, I, you know, I, I was not aware that if, if you have concern about perhaps somebody who has a driver's license who shouldn't be driving, can you go to the police or, or begin a process well, to get them have their license? That's taken not exactly the process uh, for that. But if you are arrested for a DWI, even before there's a conviction, uh, your driving privileges get removed. And then you have a right to petition the court for a full hearing on whether or not uh, the driving privileges were lawfully removed. I see. Um, Well, let me – and then also there's – I know another push is to close uh, what some people say is a loophole. Certainly the gun lobby disagrees that it's a loophole. uh, To require background checks uh, for for all gun sales, even those that take place uh, at at gun shows, Uh, although there doesn't seem to be a push – for person-to-person sales within the family, like for instance, a grandfather could, you know, gift a gun to a grandson or a son. What do you think about that proposal? Is is that does that have legs? Yeah, that's the other bill that I'm carrying. Let me just first say on the red flag bill, there's a lot of suicides, especially in Greater Minnesota. It's the greatest cause of death uh, in Minnesota, and the red flag bill is designed in part to help prevent people from acting suicidal and taking their own lives. But with regard to the background check bill, um, there are a number of exemptions in there for transfers between family members, between uh, friends who are hunting together, as long as they're still hunting together, for loans to friends who want to go hunting for a limited period of time, uh, 
you know, for law enforcement agencies that are exchanging firearms between uh, coworkers and so on. Um, so there are a lot of exemptions in there. But the biggest point is to close the existing loopholes where private-to-private sales um, are done right now. And these are 40% of the transactions in Minnesota. Private-to-private person sales are done without any kind of a screening to determine if the person receiving the gun is under current law, not eligible to have that gun, meaning they've been convicted of a violent felony, they've been convicted of a domestic violence offense, that they've been convicted of, within the last three years, of a Chapter 152 uh, drug offense, sale or possession. Um, what If they've got a known history of, of actually using unlawful drugs under Chapter 152, and uh, we don't have any at screening. And a lot of these sales are happening around the edges of gun shows. They're happening through Craigslist connections where the people get together in a in a parking lot at a retail establishment and exchange you know their money and the firearm. Um, this is all done without any background check to determine if the person getting the gun is lawful in receiving that gun. That's a loophole that we're trying to close. Yeah, let me ask you, and and you you you, I mean, you know the Capitol. Uh, you've been there. You 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 pushed for these kinds of measures before. What do you think the odds are of, of something actually getting passed this year? Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic that if we get a vote on the Senate floor, that we will have the votes to pass it, meaning at least thirty. And, there, and there's yeah, because the, the DF and it, you know this is doesn't exactly it mostly splits along party lines, but not necessarily. And there is a one-seat majority for the Republicans in the Senate. Um, they, well, there's an open seat also. Oh, there's an open Senate seat. That's true. 13. So that one is still uh, being worked out. Um, but uh, there will be a very close uh, divide in the Senate. Um, and it's not uh, necessarily partisan. It's more greater Minnesota and urban Minnesota. Um you know, where the divide is, but especially in suburban Minnesota, where a lot of these seats flip from Republican to Democrat, uh, there are a lot of senators now who have DFL House members that they didn't have before because their districts are changing and mm-hmm. their districts are starting to vote on this issue. So I think uh, that um, when we take the kind of moderate approach that my proposals are, um, and you look at the goals here to avoid, we're not trying to create a registry, and the bills that I've proposed will not create a registry of firearms. Um, there's full due process uh, for all of these here. The background checks are very simple. Um, they're built upon the existing permit to purchase or transfer purchase statutes. We're not making anyone ineligible that isn't already ineligible. It's current law. All we're doing is finding a way to screen out the people that shouldn't be allowed to have the firearms. Um, and uh, at no charge, by the way, to the buyer. Um, They would get an annual permit. There would be a monthly electronic check of all permit holders by the law enforcement agency just to make sure that they haven't recently been convicted of something that would make them ineligible to possess that firearm and disqualify the permit. And the permit issued under the Senate bill would, would last for a whole year, and they could purchase an unlimited number of firearms. So no restrictions of any sort like that. All we want to do is to be able to screen the background of the person who's getting the permit. Well, listen, um, Senator Ron Latz, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm sure that we will be following this 
uh, throughout the legislative session here because obviously this this made a, a big splash here. A lot of people are talking about these bills. And while there was not uh, – these bills did not really get uh, – very far last year, there's some indication that with the new change in terms of the House being Democratic, with the situation in the Senate, this this could be the year. And certainly, uh, certainly the governor sounds like he is on board with uh, some form of measure of one of these proposals passing. So, Senator, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it tonight. Esme, I appreciate your time. And these bills are going to save lives. The data is showing that. In states with background checks, they've cut in half the number of domestic violence deaths, officer shootings, um, and uh, the data on the red flag bills are reducing suicides substantially. So these bills will save lives, and I'm hopeful that we can get a hearing and a vote on the merits this year in the Senate. All right. Well, listen, uh, Senator Ron Latz, thank you so much, and stay warm this evening. Stay warm for the next week as well, too. You too, as much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, we have to take a break. A fascinating discussion. on how that would work, because I think at, at one level, I think that makes sense to, to everybody. It's the implementation. But it's interesting that he has that part in his bill that would make it a, a crime to make a false statement about somebody's uh, a capability of having a gun. All right, folks, we're going to take a break and much more ahead on News Talk 830. There is much more ahead on this Saturday evening uh, coming up in our next half hour. I'm going to chat with Lexi Reed Holtum. She's the executive director of the Steve Rubler Hope Network. It's a great organization that does so much uh, to help uh, spread awareness um, and also pass new laws to help battle opioid addiction. And I want to talk to her about some of the proposals before the legislature this year. Uh, also, uh, this is very interesting. Uh, 735, we're going to chat with a a young man who has founded uh, a company called Thrifty Traveler, and he was a guest on WCCO's 9 a.m. show this week, and I was like, I'm getting you for radio because I want more time with you because he really has some great ideas on how to get great deals and how to tailor it uh, to you and, and where you fly from. All right, folks, keep it here. You are listening to the one and only News Talk 830 back after this. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.